0: I actually heard this interesting term this past week. And I was talking about a guy who he said that in his small group at his church, when, when they gather together, they do something called the grace bubble. Now, I sort of laugh because we're all talking about the bubble, right? That, uh, that, you know, sports teams have to live in this bubble. and But he says it's sort of the grace bubble. He says that every time that we come together, we want to start our gathering celebrating God's grace, and what he meant by that is that God is giving us gifts all day long. And many times, we don't even see them. And that we're focused on the things that we don't have rather than celebrate the things that we do have, that God is at work. And that's what we want to be here at Grace, So we want to celebrate, that God is at work. God is doing an amazing thing, and I understand I don't know what he's doing at times. And I wish he'd do it faster and on my timetable. But God's at work. And God is sovereign. And God is able to do a immeasurably more than what we can ever ask or imagine. And God has us here today. And there's a purpose that he has for our gathering here today. And so we're sort of in this little mini-sermon series called Walking with Jesus. And we're sort of just putting anchor in a passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28, 29, and 30. And, and today we're going to look at the first part of verse 29. And we're sort of just putting anchor here because these are important words for our time here as we are walking with Jesus. One of the things I've realized that as a leader and as a person is that we can't go back. Many times in my life, right? I want to go back, but we can't go back. That that, that we have to live in the present, and we have to move forward. Someone asked me a question this week. It was a very interesting question. It said, "What what if the pandemic did not happen to us, but this pandemic is happening for us? Hmm. He, he said, "What if this pandemic is not just something happening to us, but this pandemic is happening for us?" And he put it. In, it was sort of in a, in a, definitely in a Christian context. That, that, what if this pandemic is there's something behind it? It's not just saying, "Look, all the stuff that's happened to me," but maybe there's something that's happening for me, for us. Like you, I don't. No, but yeah, I'm frustrated, and, and I'm exhausted. I've been trying to just put everything back in the bottle and, and get everyone back. And, but I've, I've realized that, that the church experience that I have known, that I can't go back to that. A church, as we know, just can't go back to it even though many of us want to do that. Let's get back to the way things were. Versus asking the question, maybe God, part of his work, he's trying to get us for something, to go after something. You know, there's this phrase in the book of Esther, probably the, the only phrase that we actually remember from the book of Esther but Mordecai was saying, say these words to Esther that she is here for such a time as this. And when we look at these, these words, it's important for us to put them into context. The context is that Esther had a choice. She could be about her will and her desires But the word of the Lord that came to Mordecai was was this. There's something bigger at play here. There's something bigger going on. If you're so caught up into your will and your desires and your wants, then you're going to miss what God is up to. Because Esther, you have been placed for such a time as this. This is an appointed time. This is a holy time. This is a sacred time. And rather than maybe seeking your will and your desires and your wants, maybe asking the question, God, what are you doing? Because God has placed you here for this appointed time. Could that be for us right now? That God has us right here at this time, in this place, in this city, at our schools, at our places of work, in our neighborhoods for such a time as this? Not to think about what is happening to us, but that he is doing and wants to do something for us. There is something new that God is birthing. I have to remind myself. And I don't think it's something brand new. It's something for us to return to. I call it the great and experiment. The great and experiment. We talked about this early on when when COVID first happened. And that when we naturally think of church, we think about the gathered people. And we've been so focused upon the gatheredness, the gathering of the the church, that there's really another aspect of the church. It's called the scattered church. It's where the church goes On Sunday afternoon all the way back through Sunday morning. It's a scattered church. But usually when we think about church, we go, I'm going to church. We think about a place and a physical location, and we think about the people. But God had so much more for the church. It says there is a gathered expression for the church, and then there's a scattered expression for the church. There's a scattered experience. It's where people go and people are living, how they're living and walking with Jesus, where they work and where they live and where they play. And I believe it's right now that we need both of these. Both of these. And it's hard. It's a narrow road. And for me, and I'm not sure about others, it's a road that we haven't been here in America. I mean, if you're here with us in person, you know that we have changed the sort of the, the setup of this room and, and that we're worshiping in the round because we want God's word to be at the center. And we're not here to, to do a performance, but we're here to be a people together. And if you're with us online, which is new, we'll we have a camera here, another camera here, number, that we know we have other people online with us. And I sort of left last week, sort of going, hmm. Did did, did people come here in person thinking, well, Brian spent the whole time talking to a camera, and there were people there who who were sort of used to watching us online thinking, well, he totally ignored us. I went home and I said, I got to learn how to do this. I got to learn, we got to learn how to be present here and also be present online. The danger is, I don't want you just to come here and just consume more content. We're not going online and Facebook Live and YouTube and and, and Zoom and all this stuff so we can produce more content so people can consume more. If if, if that's so, we're missing the point. The point is, is that when we gather, we should celebrate what God's been doing while we're scattering. And when we scatter, there's moments when we need to gather We need both. And it's okay to say, this is new, and it's hard, and it's different. It doesn't mean it's bad. It could be where God wants us right now. I believe what God is wanting to do in us and in me is to walk with Jesus every day is to actually see ourselves as a disciple of Jesus. A disciple someone who has decided to follow Jesus. Someone who's being changed by Jesus. And someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. A disciple is someone who is following Jesus. Someone who's being changed by Jesus. And someone who's committed to the mission of Jesus. Because The pandemic cannot take that away. And we are living in the scattered experience and in this gathered hybrid experience. But the point of the gatheredness and the point of the scatteredness is that our world needs to see hope in each one of us. And hope is only found in Jesus The Bible says Jesus is our living hope. And wherever we go, where we work and we live and we play, we can reach so many people and we can be disciples of Jesus who are following him, being changed by him, and committed to his mission. Which leads me back to the opening question. This person asked me, is the pandemic happening to us or is there a greater purpose behind it for us to get us out in mission? They get us being aware every day where we go to be a disciple of Jesus. That's why I believe these words are so important to us. These words of Jesus from Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28, 29, and 30. These are words that Jesus is speaking to people who know the very word of God. They have seen the miracles of God. God has done amazing things. But these people fail to believe in Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking to them and he sees them and they are weary and they are tired and he's giving hope. And these words are coming to us right now and to all of us here. Let me read these words from us in Matthew 11, 28, 29 and 30. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest Last week, I read from another translation, The, the Message, which is a modern-day paraphrase. i would love to to read this to you again. It says this, Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burnt out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. My friends, these are the words of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I sort of break these words down in verse 29. Jesus says, take. He uses this phrase, my yoke, and learn from me. Take is a command. Jesus gives a command. I want you to take something. And you think about his command right here. It's very strange. It's very strange. Because Jesus is speaking to people whose arms and lives are weighted down by burdens. And and when I hear the word take, I said, I can't take one more thing. It seems so odd. Why would Jesus say, take? Why didn't he say, drop? Or give to me. He just says, take. Take. Here are people who who are exhausted of religion. Their religious leaders have been putting more and more stuff on them. More rules and more regulations. They've taken the very word of God and they've added all these things. And and so people are like, am I I loved by God? Am I saved by God? I have to do all these things. I have to do all these things in order to be loved by God. To earn his favor that they're weary and they're heavy burdened, the problems of this world, uh, of their government, of their position in their country, that they are just weighted down And Jesus saying, take, and I'm like, take what? Take one more thing. It's just, there's something about this. Oh, how to say, what are you doing here, Jesus? It seems like another paradox, Another great paradox, right? But Jesus says, hey, if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. you got to lose it in order to find your life. There's got to be something about this take here. Well, the Greek word is used here is very similar to a word used in Psalm 55, which is the idea of cast. And Psalm 55, verse 22, David writes, cast your cares on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Now, how is that like take? Very similar to right, what Peter writes to his church in 1 Peter 5, 7, right? Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. a sense. This idea of taking is not adding more. Jesus is not saying, I'm going to add more burdens to you. I'm going to add more anxiety to you. I'm going to add more frustration to you. I'm going to add more exhaustion to you. Jesus is not in the ministry of adding more troubles to our lives. He's in the business of relieving us from them. As we go deeper in this word, what, what it means is this idea of surrender, of submission. Ooh, we're not good at that. This idea, this command and what Jesus says, take my yoke. What he's saying is, is that I want you to surrender to me. You have ownership of your life. I want you to sign it over to me. You have wants and you have desires and you have wills. I want you to surrender those to me. I I want you, with all these burdens, to come under me. To surrender to me. To submit to me. Jesus here is not opposing himself not not sort of imposing i should say not imposing himself in your life stop forcing his way into you he's saying there is a way you don't have to carry all these burdens you don't have to be carry all this anxiety all this exhaustion you're doing it on your own you don't have to do it i need you to surrender to, to actually become a follower of me, to, to surrender to my yoke. It's a very interesting words. What Jesus is saying is that you have to come to a point in your life when you realize that you are not the master of your life. You are not the Lord of your life. Taking means that uh, I'm moving from I am the master of my life to I am a student of Jesus. It means moving from I am, I am the Lord of my life. I am the one here who is going to resolve every problem. I, I am the fix for everything to the point of saying, no, I surrender my life to Jesus, and I am just his disciple. He's the Lord. I just follow him. Take, take my yoke. The word yoke throughout the scriptures has a very negative image. It's a very oppressive image. We first meet it in Exodus six. Well, the Lord is telling Moses to go tell the people, his people who, who were enslaved by the Egyptians, say this, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. His people, God's people were under this yoke, this oppressive yoke. And later in Le- Leviticus 26 The Lord says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt so that you will no longer be slaves to Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yoke and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Wow. That's the work of God. In Acts 15. there's this council happening in the city of Jerusalem. And the, and the movement of Jesus is, is going to folks who were, who were non-Jewish. They're named Gentiles. And there was a, a really a great division within the early church because they felt like in order to be a Christian, you first must be Jewish and then you become a Christian. And so in order to be a follower of Jesus, you must go through circumcision. You must submit to all the commandments. And then at that moment, then you become a Christian. You have to be Jewish before you're a Christian. Well, the movement of Jesus expanded, moved rapidly through the Gentiles who were non-Jewish, who had no idea of circumcision, no idea about the commandments and the early church was having this disagreement. And then Paul was like, no, we don't need to become Jewish first. You just need to accept Jesus. All these regulations and all these traditions before this, it's nullified. You just need to come to Jesus. And so in Acts fifteen ten, Paul uses yoke in a different way. He says, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to wear? He's saying, you as the leaders of the movement, you are making all of these requirements in order to be a Christian, which are totally false. You're actually putting more on the people of to come to Jesus. And all it needs is just yes to Jesus. You're putting more regulations. That's why Paul writes to the church in in Galatia. In Galatians 5, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand fast and do not let yourselves, what, be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That we may, may not be in a relationship, a slavery relationship like the people of Israel were in Egypt, but there are teachings that enslave us. And even in the church, all we need is to come to Jesus. And Jesus is changing the oppressive nature of this yoke, he's putting it into a positive term. See, a yoke was a wooden frame that was placed upon the shoulders of two working animals. And it was used to sort of bind these two animals together so that when they plowed the land, they could do it longer and faster, and they could pull more. Like one ox could pull about two to 5,000 pounds. But when you put it with another ox... You could go the fifteen to 20,000 pounds. That's what they could carry and pull. And farmers would use the yoke as, as a way to train a young ox. They would take a seasoned ox who had been under the yoke, and they would bring a young wild ox, and, then, and the yoke would keep them together, and that young ox would learn how to work. It was a training tool. It was a constraint that led to more power and actually more freedom. What Jesus is offering here is not oppression. It's freedom. It's freedom from exhaustion and freedom from anxiety and freedom from more burdens and weights that we carry with us. It's a It's a willful submission to put myself under the constraints of Jesus so that where he goes, I go. And where he moves, I move. In a rabbinical context, what the yoke meant was coming under the rabbi's teaching. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke, he here is presenting himself as the rabbi and asking us to come to be his students and his disciples. When a student would come to to be with a rabbi, they would do four things. One, they would memorize his words. Two, they would adopt his interpretation of the scriptures. Three, they would imitate his, his life and his ministry, his model of ministry. And four, they would multiply his teaching in other disciples. And Jesus is saying... You are being schooled by this culture. You're letting your worry and your anxiety and your exhaustion and something that is not of me weigh you down. But I'm offering you freedom here. Let me be your rabbi. Come be my student. Let me teach you my ways. Let me teach you my words so they're on your lips. Let me teach you how I go about life every day so you find rest and refreshment. When we are saved... There are three tenses of salvation. When when someone comes to faith in Jesus, they are saved. They're saved from their sin. Past. They are made new. Then we recognize that we will be saved that Jesus is going to return any moment. And in that moment, we will be, we'll experience the salvation. And then there's a presence, a present moment of salvation. We are being saved. I, you, we, there's some things in our lives that we need to be saved from, still be rescued from. There are things, there are lies and myths and teachings that we have believed. There are practices that we are here to, that are weighing us down, that there are no intention Jesus ever had to happen in our lives. There's some things that we still need to let go and have him and sit under his yoke. Because he says his yoke, we'll look at this next week, his yoke is easy. And all begins by us coming under his leadership, being constrained by his goodness and his salvation and his work, living in his power and his presence. And his presence. I think Jesus is saying Come, be with me. Let me be the master. Let me be the Lord. There's rest. So I'm going to leave you with a couple of questions. If you're online, that the hosts have these questions. I'm going to leave you with these questions to think about and also... I want to leave you with an assignment. This question from, comes from a guy named Seth McBee. He says this, Do you believe, do we believe we are saved by God's work? Or do we believe that we're saved by our own doing? Do we believe that the more that I do, They'll earn more of God's love? Or do I believe that because of the work of Jesus, the Father is pleased with me? He loves me. Do we work harder at religious activities in order to be accepted and loved by God? Do we work tirelessly at our jobs in order to gain significance and security? What happens when we fail, when we disobey God? Do we live with guilt and shame? Do we beat ourselves up? Or do we go to the cross and receive the grace that's been offered to us in Jesus? And he asks this question, last one. How is your yoke feeling today As Christians it seems here that when we walk we're not to walk burdened exhausted anxious in fright or in fear but that we are to walk light and easy and with joy And if if that is not the case that means we need to be yoked in some manner to Jesus because there's some manner that we have not been yoked to him. And so here's the assignment. The shortest of the four of the four Gospels is the Gospel of Mark. There's 14 chapters in the Gospel of Mark. I think that's right. I, yeah, I think it's right. And so we have seven days a week. Is that right? So you do the math? I know it's tough. But for this week, here's an assignment. Read two chapters of the Gospel of Mark a day. Two chapters. And as you are reading the chapters, you don't have to go and understand everything. Just read it. And before you read it, ask this question. Jesus, what are the ways that I need to copy in my life with you every day? and then read the the two chapters and just sit. It's called a one-thought journal. As I read these words, what are the ways, what are your ways I need to copy in my life to follow you every day and see what he says? You may read those two chapters like, I didn't, there's nothing in here. Or you may read it and go, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Thank you for that. I needed that. Please join me in prayer. Oh Lord, you are good. You are great. You are glorious. And you're full of grace. What an imitation you have extended to us. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Are you burned out on religion? Has frustration got the best of you? Are you anxious? What an invitation. And take my yoke. Take my yoke and learn from me. Lord, we confess that we have been yoked to this world to the patterns of this world to the idols of this world we're asking Lord for your forgiveness that we still need to be saved from the powers and the principalities and the principles of this world that we haven't followed you that we said you're the Lord and the Master but we still think that man we still can figure things out and we can we can resolve it all and when failure comes and we disobey guilt and shame come upon us but that's not that's not you you say i don't condemn you and so lord may we hear the gospel today that you are here to free us now when we come to jesus that when we submit to him and surrender our life to him, that we are free and there's rest and there's hope, there's courage and there's peace. And we're going to fight, Lord, every day to stay with you and you, you have us in the yoke and you're training us and you're teaching us through your word and through community here to live with you every day. Because you have called us for such a time as this to be your church not just to be consumers to be your disciples in school at work in our neighborhoods for such a time as this you have called us to come to you to awaken ourselves to being your disciples. And so Lord maybe today is the first day that we want to begin that journey and that we decide to follow you to surrender our life to you. The weight of sin that we've been carrying has just been on our shoulders. We want to give that over to you and receive the gift of forgiveness. That's so there are people right now online who are ready to respond. Just put that in the chat room. There's someone there or in person following the worship experience. People here to pray with us. God, right now, so want take these moments and we want to give it over to you. We don't want to leave this worship gathering here heavy, or burden. We want to live and leave it light. So what is it you want us to give to you? Where are we seeking control? Where are we trying to orchestrate the outcomes? Where have we placed our identity in? God, we surrender to you now. Give it over to him now. He's here. He says, take my yoke. Oh, you're so good. Continue to love on us. Continue to pour out your favor on us. Continue to awaken us to your presence and power in our lives for such a time as this. As we sing this song, may you be the center of everything, everything that we do, everything of who we are.